Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the strains of Also Sprach Zarathustra by Richard Strauss. And uh, I think that music was playing when uh, Yahweh created the universe, Dan. <laughs> that sounds like it. Yeah, right? Sounds like it's, a good German name, too. Yeah, right. It is. And that's great uh, music to create by. <laughs> right? <laughs> create, create a universe by. So... I can easily see that being played while the stars and the, and the sky and everything else was being formed. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Genesis to Revelation with my co-host, uh, Dan from Georgia. And today we're going to continue our discussion of Genesis 1 leading into Genesis chapter 2. And uh, also, uh, uh, this is a pre-recorded session uh, during the uh, show tomorrow. Uh, which airs at 8 Eastern, I will be, uh, be putting links into the chat area so people can follow along. But uh, I wanted to start off, uh, and, and last week I did a solo show on a recap of what Dan and I talked about in Genesis chapter 1. And I just want to br briefly recap here before we get started with uh, our transition from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. Uh, uh, an article entitled uh, Bible Hope Key Lessons and the author talks about Genesis 1 and 2 the original Hebrew words describing animals and humans are the same che nefesh what is said of one is also said of the other for example God created every living creature che nefesh that moveth okay so uh, and our point in discussing this uh, in our first episode, Dan, was to point out that there's no way you can translate Che Nefesh as a specific, uh, specific type of animal, such as cattle. I mean, those are instances of Che Nefesh, mm -hmm. but certainly not the word beast. And uh, because the, the word Che is too vague and too general to be translated as such, and it conveys the wrong impression that, uh, okay, so the, that the beast of the earth, which is basically every living, breathing thing on the earth, <laughs> including Adamites, are Chenefesh. Okay, so here is an author who understands the meaning of this, not only the word Che, but the word Nefesh, everything, that living creature that breathes air. And, you know, so the question is, how can the King James translators make such an editorial decision, which is really bad? Uh, over to you for comment. Yeah, it, it's interesting when you look at Genesis 1.25, and they use the word, you know, che and beast. However, they correctly translate it in Genesis 1.28, you know, where they say every living thing. Mm -hmm. which is how it should be translated in 125. Yes. Yeah, and so the conclusion that we come to about Genesis 1, given the meanings of all the word, words, and where it says specifically that in, with respect to the creation of Adam, which is the race that shows blood in the face, it says very clearly, male and female, he created them, so our species, and of course that was true of every biological species, 
you know, uh, from uh, ma- certainly mammals up, up higher and even many orders of, uh, you know, creation, you know, uh, chickens, marsupials, male and female. They were all created male and female right there in Genesis 1. That did not get delayed until Genesis chapter 2, as many people like to argue. No, the species were all created in Genesis chapter 1, and the earth was filled with all species. Then Genesis 2 picks up the story of a particular man, Adam, and a particular woman, Eve. Okay? So, and so if you'll pick it up uh, from uh, where we left off, I think we're, we're getting, uh, in, uh, in our article on the uh, Genesis 1 and 2 about Adam. Now, we clarified and talked at length about the other words like yom and mornings and evenings, light, uh, you know, etc. But uh, I think we want to talk more about the word Adam and what it really means and how Adam is differentiated from the other Che Nefesh. Okay, <laughs> all right, over mm-hmm. to you. Okay. Another Hebrew word that shares a similar range of meanings with an English word is the word Adam. Just as the modern English word man can mean the whole race, including both sexes, so can the Hebrew word Adam mean the whole race, a portion thereof, or an, an individual Adamite, male or female. Just as in the Bible, the word Adam can also be the proper name of a particular individual. Okay, and so here it's the context which determines, at least initially, whether the Adam speak, being spoken of is a particular individual or the entire species. And clearly in Genesis chapter 1, it's the entire species. Because it says, male and female, he created them, okay? And, uh, and we have no idea how many of each species he created. We have to simply assume he created enough of them so that they continue to uh, repopulate the earth. Or populate the earth, if you're not a, uh, a, a, a follower of the gap theory. Okay? All right, so please continue. Here again, the KGV translators have established a false tradition by which the Hebrew word Adam is used to mean all races, when it can only mean that race which shows blood in the face. This is probably the most glaring error that that all creationists make, as none of them seem to be able to use a Strong's Concordance, which clearly states that the meaning of the word is to show blood in the face. Also, there are many different Hebrew words which are translated man, but the Hebrew words do not mean man in the sense of all races. For example, ish, spelled I-Y-S-H in the Hebrew, means mortal man. The ish does not specify whether the mortal shows blood in the face or not. So ish can mean a mortal of any race, and that is how the Bible uses the term. The word ish can also mean the male of any species, to wit, Genesis 7-2, which states, Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Okay, now here, the, beast is translated from the Hebrew word behemoth. Okay. Unlike beast yeah. in Genesis 125, right. which comes from Che. Yeah, it's exclusively Che in, the, in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, but here, now the interesting thing I just want to point out 
for people, when we get to Genesis chapter 7 and getting ready uh, to load animals onto Noah's ark, what he's talking, a clean beast? So by, uh, doesn't say how many species, but clean beast and unclean beasts. That Those two categories are spoken of farm animals exclusively. So we're not talking about every species on the face of the earth, uh, like uh, platypuses and kangaroos and elephants. <laughs> No, the clean and unclean are a category that you find on the farm. One group you can eat, the other group is unclean to eat. Okay? And so we're not talking, and given the size of the ark, because we're, we're given the number of, uh, oh, what's, what's the Hebrew uh, unit of measure? I forget now. The, uh, cubit. cubit. Cubit, thank you. Okay. Uh, It gives us the exact number of cubits of the length and width of the arc. So, you know, let's assume it's like a football stadium long. Well, you cannot fit every species of the earth on that arc. We're not talking about all species. We're only talking about the clean and unclean, which is a definite category of what you can eat and what you can't eat. So we're talking about farm animals here. We're not talking about anything else. Back to you. Okay. <clears throat> the two males, Strong's words number 376-ish, in this verse are definitely not humanoid, as they are of the clean and unclean beasts that were taken into the Ark of Noah. Again, contrast this word, Adam, which can only mean that race which shows blood in the face. The Bible is a history book about that race. From Genesis 5, 1. Since the race mixers of this world want to argue that all races came from Adam, they want to justify their dogma with a false interpretation of Scripture. By failing to use the same sense as the Hebrew, the the KJV translators can preach universalism. But this cannot be done if you stick to the Hebrew meanings of the words. If Yahweh wanted all of the races to mix together, why were they ever separated? Can some creationist answer this question? The reality is that each of the races was created separately in a particular habitat, and each race developed in that particular habitat until the white race began its exploratory dispensation, as described in Genesis chapter 10. The Amerindians of South America are completely different from the black Africans, are completely different from the Mongoloids of Asia, are completely different from the white race. That's racial reality. In Old Testament times, no mingling of these different types of seed ever occurred on a major scale, except with the Canaanites of Scripture. When such mingling did occur, it was because one or the other race wandered out of its original habitat. Yeah, and usually if they did wander out of their habitat, war ensued. (laughs) Not not mixing, right? right? Okay, yes. And and several times Yahweh told them to go to war with these other races. That's right. That's right. The Israelites, who were unmixed Adamites, were absolutely forbidden from intermarrying with the Canaanites. Reference Deuteronomy 7, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 6. There is no evidence that in Old Testament times that the blacks, Amerindians, or Mongoloids ever wandered out of their original habitat. If they did, there was a war. The fossil evidence 
of these respective races exist in their original habitat well before the garden story. Nor is there a single piece of evidence that any evolutionary changes have taken place in these distinct races in the last 12,000 years. Okay, so, but nevertheless, they will continue to believe in evolution even though there is no evidence of it whatsoever, right? Okay, right. it must have happened. Why? Mm-hmm. Because a, a group of scientists believe that it must have happened, right? There, there is no evidence. All right, please continue. <clears throat> Okay, white explorers had to first discover the existence of blacks in Africa and Amerindians in America. Then the imperialism of the Catholic Universalist Church sent missionaries to convert them by the sword, and then Jews and Muslims used them as slaves. This is how the races began to be intermingled. There is absolutely no evidence of any kind that all races emerged from a single pair of hominids. That is pure, unscientific fiction, which is taught as dogma by both the creationists and the evolutionists. They are more alike than they are different. Their dogmas vary only with the amount of time involved in the evolution. Yeah, I was referring to the creationists and evolutionists, not the different races. (laughs) (laughs) They are more alike than they are different. All right. Evolutionists require millions of years for their evolutionary steps while the creationists say it all happened in seven literal days. Then, in addition, the creationists say that it all happened again after Noah's flood, (laughs) when all of these totally destroyed habitats were somehow repopulated by the same exact species that were there before. This is the most succinct way that I can put this situation is this. Evolutionism is not scientific, and creationism is not scriptural. You can take that to the bank and let it collect interest. <laughs> right? All right. <laughs> Evolutionism is not scientific, and creationism is not scriptural. Yet, yet it, these two groups have been at each other's throats. I really believe, Dan, that this is a, a deliberate sideshow orchestrated by the Jews. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and anybody who has a, a differing opinion is frozen out of the discussion. And their voices are unheard. This is, you know, the, what we in identity continually experience from both the Judeo-Christians and from the so-called you know, academics. Okay, they do. It keeps not. everybody divided. That's right. It's a divide and conquer tactic, right? Yeah. And there's, mm-hmm. and either too many people are being paid off to play the game, or yep. their their or their egos, you know, and their mutual hatred for one another keeps the game going forever and they're incapable there no meeting of the minds is capable as long as both sets of premises are false all right mm-hmm. and neither you side know i get a real can... laugh when i hear people say that we all came all the races came from adam and eve that is just that's a joke well that's devolution <laughs> right it's not evolution it's devolution all right you've heard that i'm sure oh you? yeah yeah, and you know, and it's funny because you know, the creationists will say that all the time, and the evolutionists won't bother to object, even though they know better. Okay, mm-hmm. they know better because they have studied genetics, and as we said in about Genesis, uh, Genesis one verse eleven, and several others, everything uh, recreates after its own kind and according to the seed within itself. That's a genetic statement, and that is scientifically accurate. There is no evolution. 
and there's no devolution either. You know, maybe species can devolve because you know we've been dumb, dumbed down so horribly in the last 30, 40 years that we have been devolving, not evolving. But that's a function of uh, a, a, within each race that happens. Okay, we don't devolve into other species. No one has ever observed it. And no one has any evidence that has ever occurred. Okay, so again, both sides are terribly wrong. And if evolution was a fact, we'd see it happening today. Yeah, it would. It would. We would be seeing. Oh. Uh, you know, but we don't. Twelve thousand years, there has been yeah. no evidence of any any change in any species whatsoever, unless you go into you know, race mixing. Then you see changes. Mm-hmm. That's the only time we see changes. Okay, all right. So, so that that clears up the atom issue. Okay, the Genesis one twenty six and twenty seven are about the creation of the atomites as a species, and we are the crown of creation, and all the other hominid species were created before Adam and Eve. Or, I mean the the Adamic species. Then we get into Adam and Eve, okay? Now, so before we go into, uh, okay, uh, the, the, the transition from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, I just want to read this uh, item from Hengist. Many of the people listening may be familiar with Hengist. He was a part of the kingdom identity uh, at Yahoo groups, okay? And he was a frequent contributor to there. And he has this to say. Race in the creation story of Genesis. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have Adam mentioned in the Masoretic text, but not in the Greek Septuagint of Genesis 1. Scholars may not agree, but early translators, including the KJV, indicate plural in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 5 too, but even in the New Testament. Uh, Yahshua says, "May uh, they were Adamites were created male and female when they were created, but singular in chapter two. Even ignoring this, we have a man and a woman, them being created bara, in Genesis one before the Adam singular who was formed, Yatsar in Genesis two. So the language, since only Yahweh Elohim can create, and bara." is used exclusively of Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh and Elohim in the Bible. Nobody else is able to create. Uh, but uh, but the Adam who was formed, Yatsar in Genesis 2, created and formed have different meanings. We cannot remain honest if we try to say that created, bara, is the same as formed, Yatsar. The same goes for Plasso and Ketizo in the New Testament. From the sequence alone, there is no way Genesis 2 could be a rerun of Genesis 1, and many people argue that, even people in identity. On a weight of evidence basis, there is more to say that Adam, as we use the word, was the first spiritual man, but not the first biological man. In other words, God took one man from Genesis 1 and breathed into him the breath of life. And then he quotes Genesis 2, 7. And man, or Adam, became a living soul. Here, in my opinion, it should be capitalized A, because he's taking the individual man, Adam, and uh, you know, giving him the name Adam. 
the word beca became is consistently used in a manner showing the subject became something that it had not been before, and that is the meaning of the word yatsar, changing something that already exists. Eve was the mother of all living with God's breath, not of the others. This indicates that there are those with the Spirit and those having not the Spirit. Let me repeat this uh, just in case you missed it. This is a very important statement. Eve was the mother of all living with God's breath. That's what that, not all living species. She was only the mother of those having God's breath, given in Genesis 2.7, but not of the others. This indicates that there are those with the Spirit and those having not the Spirit. Jude, verse 19. The latter is the natural man who cannot receive the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but he may become very religious. What we believe about these issues in Genesis conditions what we believe right through the Bible. From this we can see that there is no problem about where Cain found a wife. It was from amongst those who were not li the living souls that were created or formed in Genesis chapter 2. Because trees as trees cannot have the knowledge of good and evil, the trees in the garden are shown to represent human family trees. We can see this through scripture in such places as Ezekiel 31. Behold the Assyrian which was a cedar in Lebanon. Then it talks about all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him, namely the Assyrian. Thus relating this back to the garden of Eden. These were the nations in the garden, or even on the earth, that the Adam, who had become a living soul, was to cultivate or supervise or take dominion over. Okay, So I think Hengist's perspective here is right on the money, and it's the way we need to think about Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, So the, the specific difference, to make it absolutely clear, that... In Genesis 1, the species were created, bara. In Genesis chapter 2, a particular Adamite and a particular male and a particular Adamite female, Eve, were taken and changes were made to their, not just their biology, but their, to their spirit being as well. And, and I just, uh, if you uh, drop down and create and uh, quote Bertrand Compare, in the article, it's toward the bottom of that section. So, uh, uh, let me just uh, quote it uh, from uh, before that section. So, from the beginning, they were male and female, not male first and female second, as many people falsely believe, because of the scenario in Genesis 2, and because of the confusion concerning the word man in G1 and G2. And I refer to, because Fink and Emmeheiser taught this, Fink and Emmeheiser have convinced themselves of this false belief as well. Here is another precept that you can take to the bank and collect interest on. Genesis 1.26 describes the creation of the race, but Genesis 2.7-25 describes the selection of two individuals. In other words, I'm teaching the same thing that Hengist teaches and many other identians teach. So Genesis 2.7 is about the selection of two individuals, one male, one female, of that race, 
for a special formation, Yatsar, that did not take place until after the seventh Yom, the Yom of Rest. Okay, so if you want to pick it up from Bertrand Compare, his statement there. Um. Okay, in, in that article, just drop down a little more. Okay, okay. I'm looking. Okay. It's a section just underneath the one you finished reading from. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> okay. The Bible tells us about the creation of men in the plural in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, saying, male and female created he them. And God told those people, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, Genesis 1, 28. In the next chapter, Genesis 2, we find the Adam in the singular created. Or actually formed. Is really yeah, four. <laughs> okay, yeah. In, okay. In two seven, Genesis two seven. Yeah. The Hebrew word Adam, rendered Adam in English, is from a root word meaning to show blood in the face or of a ruddy complexion. A word obviously not applicable to the dark races, which we also know from scientific evidence to be much older than the white race. Adam was not the first man. That was a, an article from. Adam was not the first man, an article I highly read, everybody read, you can just search for it online. It says that Adam was not the first man by Bertrand Compare, and you can read the whole thing. Okay, back to you. There is no possibility that the stories of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are contemporaneous. They were told to be fruitful and multiply before the garden events. Both the Hebrew language and the logical sequence of events prove conclusively that they are in chronological order, not an assemblage of contemporaneous events. In fact, Genesis 2 would thus be the only chapter of the Pentateuch which would not be in chronological order. Genesis 1 is about the creation of the various species that exist on the entire planet. The subject matter of Genesis 2 is localized to the Garden of Eden after all of these species are in existence. In essence, those who argue that the male of our species was created before the female of our species have not paid attention to the Hebrew grammar, nor the events, nor the order of events. Okay, because it says male and female, he created them. Okay, mm -hmm. it, didn't say, it doesn't say male was created first and then female. They were the male Adam was introduced to the narrative first before Eve, but it could have been the other way around. Because they were selected mm -hmm. from the existing species of the white race from Genesis chapter 1, as Hengist states. Okay? And we're going to see as we get into it that, they were, that Adam was placed into the Garden of Eden. That's right. That's right. So please continue because what we're doing, we're, we're doing uh, Genesis chapter 2 by way of introduction before we actually read from, uh, from the Bible, go back to reading from the Bible. So please continue. Okay. Without consulting the concordances in the Hebrew language commentaries, it is impossible to make sense of Genesis 1 and 2. By making this effort, we see how horribly the King James Version has mangled the text. This is very unfortunately true. However, the KJV translators cannot be faulted for this, as they did not have the wealth of information about history and prehistory that we do now. As I have stated previously, the KJV is the Flat Earth Society version of Scripture. We saw that in Genesis 1, the translators were unable to deal with the idiomatic usage of the Hebrew, and we saw that they had to make editorial decisions about the meanings of critical Hebrew terms such as man, day, and evening, and morning. Since they had no knowledge of archaeology and geology, 
the idea of translating yom, Y-O-W-M, as eon, E-O-N, never occurred to them. But the creationists have no excuse. <laughs> yeah, right. They don't have any excuse. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So they have concordances. <clears throat> Why don't they use them? Well, actually, the KJV translators didn't have concordances. The, the concordances came later. <laughs> okay. So they were just doing the best they could under the circumstances. Back to you. Here is Arnold Kennedy's view of the subject. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have Adam mentioned in the Masoretic text, but not in the Greek Septuagint of Genesis 1. Scholars may not agree, but early translators, including the KJV, indicate plural in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 5 verse 2, but singular in chapter 2. Even ignoring this, we have a man and a woman, them, being created, bara in the Hebrew, in Genesis 1, before the Adam, singular, who was formed, Yatsar, in Genesis 2. Created and formed have different meanings. We cannot remain honest if we try to say that created equals bara is the same as formed equals Yatsar. Okay, the I same didn't goes for plasso and katiso yes. in the New Testament. Okay, I didn't realize that Hengist was quoting from Arnold Kennedy. <laughs> Okay, so that that comes from Arnold Kennedy's article. Okay, please continue. From the sequence alone, there is no way Genesis 2 could be a rerun of Genesis 1. On a weight of evidence basis, there is more to say that Adam, as we use the word, was the first spiritual man, but not the first biological man. In other words, God took one man from Genesis 1 and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis 2, verse 7. Mm -hmm. The word became is consistently used in a manner showing the subject became something that it had not been before. This individual man became something that he was not previously. He was changed into something new and different. Yeah. We will discuss what the differences are later. Eve was the mother of all living with God's breath, not of the others. This indicates that there are those with the spirit and those having not the spirit. Jude verse 19. Mm -hmm. The latter is the natural man who cannot receive the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. But he may become very religious. What we believe about these issues in Genesis conditions what we believe right throughout the Bible. From this, we can see that there is no problem about where Cain found a wife. It was from amongst those who were not living okay. souls. So Arnold Kennedy, who was not a two-seed lighter, believes exactly the way we do about Genesis 1 and 2. That is a racial, the Genesis 1 and 2 are about race. And There's species. no other way to explain it. Yeah. No, it, I mean. It has to be that. It has to be that. And uh, the more you study the words in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the more you are convinced that this is what's going on. Okay. So, uh, so please continue. I, I read that portion of the uh, Hengist statement, not realizing that he was quoting Arnold Kennedy, because he doesn't say so in the in the article that I have printed out. But uh, please continue, because Arnold Kennedy has got this figured out. Back to you. Okay. <clears throat> because trees, as trees, cannot have the knowledge of good and evil, the trees of the Garden of Eden are shown to represent human family trees. We can see this through Scripture in such places as Ezekiel 31, Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon. Then it talks about all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him, thus relating this back to the garden of Eden. 
These were the nations in the garden that the Adam, who had become a living soul, was to cultivate or supervise. Okay, that one the, man Adam. That, that's absolutely correct. You know, the, now, um, the, the Adamic species was told to take dominion already in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, but the man Adam, he now uh, is the one, he's the gardener in the Garden of Eden. He's the one who invented the plow, and he's the one who named all the animals, as we'll find out in, the, in Genesis chapter 2. He was the, uh, the nomenclaturist, or uh, there's a word for that <laughs> in scientific jargon, the person who names and creates categories. That Adam was the first guy to do that, okay? Uh, so please continue. Without discussing what Satan as the enchanter or serpent means, we can see a seduction of Adam through Eve to divert another purpose instead. We are not discussing here if Cain was a sexual product of this seduction, but we know he was. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I said, he was not a two-seed liner. That's why he doesn't want to go into that subject. Uh, mm -hmm. Please continue. Okay. We find both the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent as it was then, so it is today, with one seed hating the other and in no way have they now become the same. Wow. That's a, that's a wonderful statement by a non-seed liner. I mean, you can't get any closer to being too seed line than that statement. <laughs> With one that's seed. pretty darn close. <laughs> yeah, it is. It just doesn't want to admit that Eve was sexually seduced, okay? He is all but saying it right there. Yeah, he's all but saying it, right? <laughs> I mean, yep. Yeah. Did she or didn't she? <laughs> well, <laughs> we know that she did, unfortunately. All right, back to you. That is why Jesus could say of the Edomite leaders of the Judean nation, ye are of your father the devil. Adam comes from a root word meaning showing red in the face or of a ready complexion, a description of part of the white race. Even today, the serpent is attempting to reduce this seed by racial intermarriage and to eliminate it by other means. There Amen you go. to that. Yes. The yep. churches have been seduced into believing that all races are the same in God's sight. Mm-hmm. So, so far, they have thrown out the entire covenant message. You know, they, the churches will agree that the Old Testament is about one people, namely the Jews, okay, in the Old Testament. No, it's not about the Jews. It's about Israel and the Adamic species, Israel being the main representative of the Adamic species, okay? So, and that's the covenant message, the covenant people, were not declared until later, you know, at, uh, not Calvary, at uh, Sinai, where uh, Yahweh says, you Israelites, you are my chosen nation. Uh, you are the people to whom I deliver these, uh, these, these laws, these rules and regulations, the commandments, and you are the only nation that I have chosen for my special people, my chosen people. These were Adamites. These were whites. These uh, and all Israelites are white, not Jews. Okay, the major, even the non-seedliners agree with us about that. Okay, that the uh, the Israelites were white Adamites and not Jews. Back to you. And we're going to see as we go through Scripture that he emphasized us being a separate people as well Amen. to separate ourselves. Yeah, yeah. and that's a, the actual meaning of the word holy. I believe it's Kadash, 
in the Old Testament is set apart, separated from all the others. And it says, you only, Israel, to, uh, to you only have I done this. No other people. To no other people have I given this law. So uh, it, you know, the separateness of the Israel people is a major major theme of the old testament and that does not change in the new testament nowhere does it change it only changes by translation as we will see okay back to you it is popular today to say that all cultures are god-given and thus that god can be worshipped within any cultural form but in the bible god's people are instructed learn not the way of the heathen the word way is given by strong accordance as a course of life or mode of action. This, then, is a matter of culture that God's people are not to learn. Okay, we are not to be like them. Come out from among them. Be Amen. separate. Amen. That's in the New Testament. That's Paul speaking. Yep. Okay. There are many examples in Scripture about Israel practicing the ways and culture of the heathen following association with them. According to the abominations of the heathen, which the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, Second Kings chapter sixteen verse three, and chapter seventeen verse eight. As it is, the Lord who did the casting out, there is no excuse for any reassociation with either the people or the culture. That's right. There's no excuse for that, but the churches demand that we do it. Modern churches. Yep. Mm-hmm. Further on in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15, this is connected with rejecting the covenant made with the fathers. Rejection of the covenant means being cut off from the covenant. That's right. Es- Esau did the same thing, and that's why God hated Esau. That's right. And we are warned in the New Testament, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. The profanity is crossing a threshold or doorway, according to to Strong. Kennedy is referencing to race mixing here. It is popular doctrine today to open such a door to encourage God's people to go through it. It is not difficult to follow the pattern of God's judgment following racial mixture through Scripture. But this is encouraged both within and without the church. Thus, it can be seen that any apparent breakthrough following years of faithful missionary activity is only an apparent breakthrough. The valid missionary activity is teaching the laws of God and bringing the other peoples into subjection. Uh-oh. Source of this is the race in the creation story of Genesis by Arnold Kennedy. Wow. Okay. Go, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. And he understands the covenant message that the only the Israelites were are the covenant you know were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob the covenants were made with those three patriarchs and their wives and we are the descendants of those patriarchs and matriarchs and nobody else can be brought into the covenant nobody else and nobody can annul the covenants this is what Paul says in Galatians chapters 3 and 4 He says it many times that nobody can change the terms of this covenant, but the churches are constantly telling us that that the terms of the covenant have been changed. That's a lie, folks. It's a lie. All right, please continue with these uh, various points. 
Okay. <clears throat> we can see from Kennedy's analysis that he recognizes several facts from the Hebrew that Adam in Genesis 1 is plural, not singular. That Adam in Genesis 2 is singular, not plural. That Adam, the Adamic race in Genesis 1, was created, bara, in the Hebrew. That Adam, an individual male of the already existing Adam, Adamic species created in Genesis 1, was formed, Yatsar, in Genesis 2. That because of these obvious differences in the language of the Hebrew, Genesis 2 cannot be speaking of the same events depicted in Genesis 1. I would also add that Genesis 1 is speaking of planetary happenings. Genesis 2 is speaking only of the events in the garden. That at least one of these trees of the garden was another species of humanoid. Since literal trees do not have any knowledge of good and evil, and because literal trees cannot envy, that the Bible clearly differentiates between the genealogies of Cain and Seth. Most Judeo-Christian theologians scrupulously avoid the study of the separate and distinct genealogies of the Adamites versus the Kenites slash Canaanites slash Edomites. That the Adamites are commanded to remain separate from the heathen who are of the wrong genealogy, seed line or seed lines. That those of Adam's genealogy or genealogical descent are to take dominion over the other races, even today, Genesis 1, verse 28. That the sequence of events described in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are chronological, are in chronological order, not contemporaneous. Had Adam and Eve not sinned, planetary civilization would have developed according to the dominion mandate given in Genesis 1.28. Their sinless offspring would have contained the inbreathed spirit that would have expanded this benevolent dominion to the rest of the planet. Actually, this particular genealogy, the white race, did in fact progress to the point of having dominion over the entire world. But this dominion could not succeed because we are still in our fallen state. Also, the white race has given up this dominion because of the intense brainwashing campaigns of the Jews, Edomites, and Khazars, and the Judeo churches. This factor is in fulfillment of the prophecy by Isaac made to Esau that the time would come when Esau's descendants would have dominion over the descendants of Jacob Israel. Genesis 27, verses 30 through 40. Here is Bertrand Comparé's summation of our fallen state and why we are having to live through all of this tribulation. Adam was told, now don't you get mixed up with these pre-Adamic races who have evil so ingrained in them that you're not going to be able to lift them out of. They will make you like one of them. You are here to have good only and not evil in your character and your conduct. Then he let himself be persuaded by Satan that the way to have power in this world and rule, you had to get down off your pedestal and mingle with these people and learn their ways and outsmart them. And you had to be more clever, more crooked than they were. Until what was the result? Satan, who had been the superintendent of this planet and probably some others, was deposed because he disobeyed God. He rebelled against God. Well, what did Adam do? He did the same thing. Okay. So, so Adam. Uh, he seems to be suggesting that Adam might have been seduced by power. Okay. I don't that, think so. I think he was just he was just duped. He was, you know, well, Satan was a smooth talker. Certainly that. <laughs> and, he, and the Jews are smooth talkers. Yes, <laughs> no they doubt are. about that. Yeah. So, um, Again, Bertrand Comparé 
And Compare and Swift, as far as I know, are the originators of the two seed line doctrine. But you can see he's he's teaching the seduction of Eve and, and also if if not the physical seduction of Adam, his spiritual and moral seduction in the garden. Back to you. So Adam forfeited that position of rulership over the world which had been given to him. Now we are his descendants and we act the same way. When you see a sign on the wall, fresh paint, you have to go up and touch it with your finger to see if it really is fresh. You do? You have to learn everything the hard way, just as Adam did. So we are being given a period of testing to see what our own character is and to let us learn by bitter experience that evil is not to be monkeyed with. That's right. When we we come back in in the resurrection... And God says, now don't do this. We are going to understand thoroughly what he is talking about. And we are not going to think that we are smarter than he is. And this comes from Merchants of Babylon by Bertrand Compare. Yes. Well said. Okay. Yeah, and then... Uh, I think we, that's an excellent analysis. I mean, oh, we yeah. are being tested here. And we are having to learn all this the hard way. Right. It's you the know, hard way. Not following yeah. Yahweh's laws is yeah. just going to lead to trouble. Every time. Now, Yahweh had the option of uh, scrapping Adam and Eve and starting all over again. (laughs) But what's what's the likelihood of the next Adam and Eve falling into the same trap? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So once the experiment has started, giving uh, uh, the Adamic species free will to choose between good and evil, uh, the experiment had to continue. Okay, so here we are. Here we are. We're almost we're almost at the point where the experiment is finally brought to fruition and some of us are going to pass, some of us are going to fail. Back to you. Those who have discernment can see that everything that the white Adamic race has built in the last six thousand years has recently been usurped by the descendants of Esau. Adamic civilization is being destroyed before our very eyes because Jewish money has perverted Christian civilization. This dominion of Esau is also depicted as the little season during which the descendants of Esau rule the world by deception under the dual dictatorship of Zionism and communism in these last days. Revelation chapter 20 verse 3. The thousand years spoken of in that verse are not a reference to a future time. They are a reference to the Holy Roman Empire, which had kept Mystery Babylon in check by keeping the Jews in the ghettos. The human, the uh, uh, Roman, Holy Roman Empire lasted from 800 A.D. to 1800 A.D. It was during this time that the popes crowned the kings of the empire. Even though this empire persecuted the saints, it held the Canaanite, Edomite seed line in check by keeping them confined to the ghettos and by forbidding usury. It was not until Napoleon's armies liberated the Jews from the ghettos that the Jewish deception was able to take dominion over Christian Adamic civilization. Because the Judeo churches have rejected the teachings of the Old Testament, they are not able to see the connection between Isaac's prophecy to Esau and its fulfillment in the current Jewish dispensation. Okay. Makes sense? Yes, it does. Now, so... Somebody asked me, are we in the time of Jacob's trouble? What no do you doubt. Think? Yeah, no doubt, right? <laughs> so, can it possibly mean the Jews? Are the Jews in big trouble today? 
you know, I would say a lot of our people are in big trouble as That's well. Right. You yeah. know, they're enforcing, you know, the Jews are at the top of the pyramid, but we've got some of our own people involved in this as well, in mm -hmm. this conspiracy. Right. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but can it be said of the Jews that they are going through troublous times today? Mm-hmm. Are, are they in trouble, or you just said they're at the top of the pyramid? Yeah, I guess they're, you know, um, they're doing the will of their father. That's right. The devil, you know, so I guess they're not in trouble with him. But, you know, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes on Judgment Day. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. absolutely not. Yeah, not. Okay, so let me check our time and see. Uh, okay, we are at... Uh, we're actually approaching 50 minutes. So, okay, well, we can go a little bit longer. I yeah, guess we, we can we go the yeah, full hour. Yeah, and uh, so let's go into the next section. Uh, by way of introduction, uh, Genesis chapter 2, Adam the gardener, botanist and farmer. That's the word I was looking for earlier, botanist. He, a botanist is the one who categorizes biological species. Over to you. <clears throat> The transition from hunting to farming in Central Europe has long been a source of fascination to many archaeologists and others interested in the past. Agriculture, the domestication of both plants such as wheat and barley and animals such as goats and cattle, was invented in the Near East and Southeast Anatolia, about 8500 BC. The movement of these goods over the next 3000 years has been traced into Iran and Iraq, Pakistan and Turkmenistan, the last by about 6,000 BC. The plants, animals, and the people who brought them arrived in Central Europe about 5,500 BC, when the culture archeologists have named Linear Dabaremic first <laughs> appeared <laughs> in what is Hungary and Slovakia. Okay, so I think what he's talking about here is very limited agriculture, where uh, people, uh, the uh, hunter-gatherers realized that they could pick you know, like roots and grubs uh, uh, you know, you know, like um, potatoes uh, sweet potatoes and things like that out of the ground and uh, somehow they f realized well we can plant in a lot of these and uh, a lot of these types of food have seed within themselves and so you can just plant those seed at will, and then gather them when they ripen, okay? So there was a long period of time between that, that transition from uh, hunter-gatherers to planters that took place. Whether or not it was organized farming, you know, uh, on the scale that we have today, uh, nobody really knows. But uh, there was, this transition was taking place during this period, as they say, from about 8500 B.C. to 5500 B.C. Okay, back to you. One of the most interesting debates about the spread of agriculture into this region was whether the LBK were farmers descended from the people from the Fertile Crescent or European Mesolithic hunter-gatherers who merely adopted the new technology, or a little of both. <clears throat> Up to the time of Adam, agriculture was a small-scale enterprise, limited to areas where wild grain and fruit could be easily harvested. Whether or not there was organized planting of seeds is hard to say. 
But such communities, in order to thrive in one location, had to have abundant food in that locale. For thousands of years before Adam was born, towns and villages would spring up where such activity could sustain a small population. But feeding the herds of sheep and cattle required driving them around the countryside in search of food. Aside from this type of transitional settlement, the domestication of such animals was still in the nomadic stage. The blacks of Africa were still in the stage when they were rediscovered by white explorers. This type of culture can only sustain small towns and villages, not cities. Organized agriculture is required to sustain larger populations. It was the invention of the plow that made large-scale farming possible. So far, the earliest known agricultural evidence of the plow dates to after Noah's flood, around 2500 B.C. Yeah, and it had to have existed before Noah's flood. We just don't have any evidence of it yet. Right. The transition from the hunter-gatherer period to organized farming is clearly depicted from Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 and 30 to Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 where we are told that there was no Adam to till the ground. This, mean, this means that there was, as yet, no Adamite that had the skill of farming. The Adamites were already in existence, but none of them knew how to till the earth. If Adam invented the plow, we have no evidence for it. I suspect that Adam was taught to till with other instruments, such as a shovel or a hoe. Now, pay very close attention to what these archaeologists have to say about the transition from the Mesolithic hunter-gatherer culture to the Neolithic agricultural culture that followed. New evidence from the Belgian coastal lowlands presented by Crumb in 2002 indicates that key changes in microlithic armature technology coincided with the adoption of early ceramics by the final Mesolithic hunter-gatherers at the site of Dole in Lower shelled valley. These lithic changes are sufficiently diagnostic to differentiate the dull assemblage from previous late Mesolithic assemblages. Okay, let me, no one, let me, let me interrupt right here. So I'm just appreciating the significance of this statement. So you have to have pots, <laughs> pots and pans. And, you know, to the extent that uh, even today in Africa and Arabia, you know, they load camels down with these gigantic pots for the specific uh, things that they need to transfer from one place to another, such as salt. Salt is one of the key uh, elements in, uh, in creating agriculture. Because you, like you, if you know anything about cattle, they need to have salt in order to survive. So you have to provide them with salt. Where do you get it from? Okay. So this is one of the major developments that was necessary. You have to be able to develop large containers that can sustain the travel of the hunter-gatherer stage and finally you know, uh, propagate the farming stage. Back to you. No indications of economic activity other than that of hunter-gatherer type were associated with these finds. However, with no signs of domestication or cultivation. The final Mesolithic data from Dole were interpreted as evidence of indigenous late hunter-gatherers changing in response to contact with the earliest elements of Neolithization, well before the arrival of fully Neolithic local Micklesburg culture. Chrome compared the change at Al 2002 compared the changes in the lithic tradition with similar final Mesolithic 
Mesolithic lithic changes elsewhere along the northwest European seaboard and consider them, together with early ceramic use, to be part of the first influence of Neolithic culture and the beginning of the Mesolithic Neolithic transition in this part of northwest Europe. So, another to, what I take this to mean is they were developing containers of uh, ceramic made by out of ceramic uh, for various different purposes to keep to keep their seeds, for example separated one from another, uh, to keep uh, uh, salt in another, to keep uh, different types of food in different containers. So uh, the the development of containers is very critical. I I never thought of it that way until I heard you read this. So back to you. You know what's a bunch of bull is when you hear all these people talk about how we were, uh, you know, we all lived in caves and there was no civilization. (laughs) What a bunch of garbage. You know, when yeah, you read stuff right. like this, that just proves that, you know, what yeah. bunk that is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're uh, we're almost at the 58-minute mark, so uh, maybe we should wrap it up from this point on. I think we uh, discussed the, the changes from uh, Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 pretty thoroughly, and the agricultural and uh, archaeological uh, insights that uh, uh, pertain to the change from hunter-gatherer to Neolithic and farming, okay? And there's no evidence of any farming in Genesis chapter 1. That does not occur until Genesis chapter 2. You had to have lots of people around in order for the hunter-gatherer civilization to even exist. So there's more evidence here that Genesis 1 is indeed about the creation of species, and Genesis 2 is about the development by Adam and his wife Eve of the lithic, the Neolithic farming community and planting the garden in Genesis chapter 2. Okay? I think, I think we have summed up the, you know, the relevance of Genesis 1 and 2 uh, pretty thoroughly. Okay, Dan? Sounds thanks good. a lot. Yeah, thanks we'll, a lot. Uh, get chapter 2 next week. Yes, yeah, and we'll start reading from Genesis chapter 2. Looking very much forward to that. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition, everybody. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Dan. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Okay. All right, folks, take care, and now now listen to the creation music again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother, take care. Good night. All right, bye-bye. Okay, the the music doesn't want to play. Sorry about that, folks. But we'll catch you next week on Genesis to Revelation. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. And thank you all again. Bye-bye.